think that uh, it was true once upon a time that Sony was a very reliable brand and their products had a sort of stamp of quality and they were designed to last. Uh, and in some ways, uh, that is what uh, most brands, uh, I think, well, a lot of brands hope to have that reputation of quality and reliability, while as other brands are about producing uh, quality of uh, flashy products uh, that may not last as well, or maybe the latest products that are coming out on the market, so that they're the, the newest product. Um, my, uh, so my Samsung tablet broke the other day and um, a couple of weeks ago and I need to get it replaced and I'm deciding at the moment as to whether to replace it with another Samsung tablet or not. And uh, pretty soon my phone is heading that way as well. It's, it's kind of chipped and uh, it's only, uh, it's been maybe two years uh, I know that some people uh, get them replaced every year, uh, but my uh, phone has been with me maybe two years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, but it seems nowadays that everything doesn't last that long. And I long for the days when they produced something that was tougher and more reliable. You see, when I was in college, we had, uh, we actually, uh, my, uh, friend and I, uh, we both bought, went out uh, and bought these really, really old TVs. His uh, had an actual dial knob to, to find channels. It was a color TV, but it was this tiny little CRT uh, thing that was maybe 15, 20 years old. Um, and I bought one with just four buttons on it so I can change channels to four different buttons. But they worked and they'd been around, as I said, they'd, they'd been around 15, 20 years already, maybe even longer than that, uh, and they'd been built to last. But we see nowadays uh, things just don't last. And as a bit of a cheesy segue, um, we are talking about something that does last, not just uh, in a short term, not just in a whole generation or a lifetime, but forever. And as every uh, good uh, a Sunday school child knows, the answer to this is Jesus. We are going to be looking at how Jesus, who we've seen the author of the Hebrews already tell us, is our great high priest, and we're going to see him continuing the argument uh, that he is the best high priest, the only high priest, and he's going to really drive that, that message home. So uh, let's have a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 7. I've titled this, Jesus is a far superior high priest. The priestly order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> For this, Melchizedek King of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth uh, part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. 
He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning, uh, beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who, were, who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they, are all, they also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his, uh, have his descendants from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other, by one who is, it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection if, had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for uh, under it the pe people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise in the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the, or the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is a necessary change in the law as well. For the one whom, uh, of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, for which one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in con connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek, who, was the, who became a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former uh, commandment is sent as set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law had made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor, a guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were, may, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, 
to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did, uh, did this once for all when he offered him, uh, up himself. For the law op op appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let me pray. Father, help uh, me when I'm speaking from this word to speak faithfully. Lord, we pray that your spirit is with us, teaching us, molding us, changing us into your likeness so that we can love and trust you and we can look to, you, to your death to humble us and your eternity as promise and hope for our future. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, from this passage, we have to imagine, so I, I like to imagine uh, these two teachers of the law, Jewish teachers who know their Old Testament well, perhaps one of them is a Christian, we don't know, uh, and they're arguing about Jesus. The first one says to G-A-O-C, it says to the second one, this Jesus, he is the new and great high priest. And the second one says, uh, well, how can Jesus be a, high, a priest? He's not even a Levite. And you can see how this argument is going to go back and forth. Um, but the first one says, goes, uh, uh, I mean, you, the, the thing is that all the priests came from the tribe of Levi. Uh, that means that they were, uh, uh, that this line was directly handed down through Aram. And so there was a separation, much like in most countries, a separation of church and state, uh, there is in UK in some ways, but much more so in America. So uh, the kings came through David, supposedly, uh, but even more strict was the, the, the line of uh, priests. The, the tribe of Levi was specifically set aside to be priests. And this is where uh, we start the argument of this passage. And where the first uh, teacher of the law comes back, but he says, ah, but what about Melchizedek? And we see that there is a precedent here, a legal precedent. Okay, so you see, Melchizedek is this mysterious figure that appears in Genesis 14 for all of three verses. And the three verses are, actually is more explained here, but it's, it's very clear here in chapter seven um, that uh, what goes on in, in Genesis 14. Um, we don't have any other information about Melchizedek. That's it, just those three verses in Genesis 14. So why is he so important? Well, there's a lot packed into those three verses. Uh, and we, as I said, we see it here. Let me uh, get back to those. Uh, 
Okay. Um, we see that he is, oops, is that still sharing? No, that's not sharing. Stop it. Okay, there you go. Um, we see that he is a priest of Yahweh. Uh, he is the priest of the Lord. In, in uh, Genesis 14, it uses the capitals for uh, Lord, which means that he is the priest of uh, God, the God Most High, uh, Yahweh. So this guy, Melchizedek, is a priest of God. Not only that, and you can see it here in, in Hebrews 7, um, he is, uh, his name, Melchizedek, is, um, means, uh, sorry, it means uh, king. So, the Jews who recognized, uh, I mean, the, this is the God who the Jews recognized and worshipped. He could be no other God because they use the word Lord. They use the word Yahweh. This means that there were other priests. So this argument, this idea that there could only be Levite priests, Levitical priests, is, uh, is false. So, as my, my students would say, boom, you've been lawyered. So... Uh, but the argument is taken even further here. Verse 2, he is first, by translation, his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. Um, that, that means uh, that in the uh, Aramaic, uh, Melk means king and Zedek means righteousness. So, it's actually king is righteousness. So we have Melchizedek is king of righteousness. And Salem, from the same word as Shalom, means peace. And so Melchizedek, king of Salem, means the king of righteousness and of peace. Now that should sound very, very familiar to us. I wonder whether you can think about where we've heard about a king of righteousness and peace. And if you were tuned in on Christmas Day, even if you didn't, you should know this passage well enough. But if you tuned in on Christmas Day, I talked about this passage, Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he will be called, his name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So this Melchizedek isn't just about setting legal precedent. Ah, done it again. Sorry. Keep on pressing the wrong button. Um, this isn't just about uh, setting legal precedent. This is also about uh, Melchizedek being a foreshadowing of the figure, this figure, 
of the Messiah. He is the king of righteousness and peace. And the future king who is coming of all the Old Testament, which is talking about this figure who is coming, hinted all the way through the Old Testament. And then you see an increase of these prophecies towards the end that this savior would be not only king, but also peace. He would be God. But what else is there? Now, who, here's the Sunday school question, who do you tithe to? Who do you give one-tenth of, uh, of, uh, of your earnings to? Now, the, uh, the Jewish uh, teachers of the law, well, we give them to the, the priesthood. We give them to the Levites. But who does that represent? We are tithing to God. So in Melchizedek, we see a figure who the high priest, um, who is the high priest of none other than Yahweh, but is also a king in his own right, but also the king of righteousness and, uh, uh, righteousness and peace. He is greater than Abraham because Abraham gives him a tithe and he, Abraham, gives a tithe to him who is then giving it to God. Who do you give a tithe to? You give a tithe to the priesthood who then presents it to God. So this Melchizedek is very much this Christ-like figure. And so the question as to whether Jesus was a Levite, this argument that Jesus can't be a priest because he was a Levite, well, that's moot at this point. You see, Levi himself was not as important as Abraham. If Abraham was inferior to Melchizedek, then so too would Levi. This is five generations earlier. So in order that, uh, so the order of the Levites, the priests of Israel, would be far inferior to the mantle of the high priest that was this high priest who was also the king of righteousness and priest in the order of Melchizedek. And to follow this argument through, we see in verse 11, let me share this again. Oh, go back. Verse 11, we see that the Levitical, uh, Levitical priesthood had, uh, had, if the Levitical priesthood had been enough, they wouldn't have needed another priest. So this goes back to my argument about electronics. They just don't last. Unfortunately, priests come and they go. It's very much, sadly, like pastors. One pastor might be very good at something. There is no pastor as good at everything, but you might have a great pastor and then they move on. And then another pastor comes and they have different strengths but they don't last. Just like electronics, my phone, I have a great phone at the moment, but it's not lasting. 
it's starting to break and it's starting to need constant updates. And some of the software on it doesn't work. Now you'll see on adverts this idea of the ultimate phone, or you probably might have seen, more likely you've probably seen the ultimate razor. Have you heard of that, Gillette? This is the ultimate razor, the best a man can get, or the ultimate watch. Surely if you had the ultimate phone or the ultimate razor or the ultimate watch, you would never need another phone or razor or watch again. False advertising. However, Jesus claims to be the ultimate high priest. Not those exact words, but it says he will, he will reign forever. If the Levitical high uh, priest, the Levitical priestly system with their yearly sacrifices was enough, then why did they have to keep repeating it year on year? Why does there need to be a new high priest when the old one dies? if they are the ultimate high priest. And this again speaks to the idea that there is no longer a priesthood. There is no longer a need for new prophecies. There is no longer a need for a new word because Jesus has come. He is the ultimate high priest. His word is the ultimate word. We need no more. He gave us all that, he, you know, that we need. And if he is God, then surely we truly believe that he was able to do that. And as an evangelical, I've, uh, you know, as a, as a Christian, I've grown to realize that the Bible has all the teachings we need. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It is all we need. It is sufficient it speaks into the modern age. It gives us all the, uh, uh, the teachings we need. Right, back to this. Okay. So in uh, verse 15, there is a direct quote from Psalm, uh, the Psalm of David, uh, Psalm 110. Let me read it out all to you. So the, the, the quote is just this last bit here. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are priest forever. But let me read it from the beginning because without context, we, as my old pastor used to say, text without context is just a con. So verse one, the Lord says to my Lord, now that's really important. It is in this context, we might read this as God talking to David. But in the greater context, we see that this is talking about Jesus. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We know in later texts, Jesus is asked to sit. Is, is, he doesn't need to be asked. He sits at the right hand of God. And all his enemies will bow to him. The Lord sends forth from Zion you, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning to uh, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
you see it all all of this all of the old testament hopefully you st you're starting to get this idea all of the old testament is pointing back to jesus pointing to jesus Jesus is the one being talked about here in Psalm 110. I said that there wasn't much more information about Mel Melchizedek, and hopefully you saw that there isn't more information about uh, Melchizedek. But Psalm 110 sets up this idea of an order of Melchizedek and looks forward to this high priest who is going to be of the order of Melchizedek. Who was it? Well, it wasn't David. David didn't take on the mantle of high priest. We see Isaiah in uh, Chronicles um, trying to take uh, on the, uh, the mantle of priest, but being struck dead. And there's the argument as to why a king can't be a priest. But it's different because this is of the order of Melchizedek. The reference from verse 21 nails it into place. Let's just have a quick look back at that. Oops. Let's go back to here. Verse 21. The Lord has sworn and you and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Legal precedent is such that if it's already been done, there, then there is very much a case for it to be able to be done again, and it should be done again. However, this is, goes beyond legal precedent here. This is God's precedent. And what God says has to be done. It will be done. There is no question about it. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. He's talking about Jesus here. This is not just legal precedent. It's God, the faithful God, the creator of the world, who is stating this and setting this in stone. This foreshadowing of a Messiah of the order of and mold of Melchizedek is no mistake. This mold of a high priest and king who is also a king of righteousness and peace. That is no coincidence that Melchizedek was called uh, Melchizedek. So a king of righteousness and of Salem. That means of peace. God allowed Abraham to meet Melchizedek for a reason. He made sure that it was recorded very clearly, just in those three verses in the Old Testament in Genesis, for a reason. We have such little, you know, the stories are so brief, but there is this instant for three verses in Genesis, and it's recorded for us for a reason, along with the tithe. And so we see this in verse 22 here. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What does this mean? Especially for us now. We are not just trusting in something that is man-made. It's not something that has the human guarantee of quality. It is something that was predestined from the start of time.
It shows up not just by coincidence, but have a celestial plan. And we are very much part of that plan. Our salvation does not depend on us humans. And that's the amazing thing, but also something to be, you know, to, to have a danger about, something to be warned about. I've told you this before that you should not put your trust in humans. Don't you dare put your trust in Pastor Craig or myself or any of the other leaders of the church. Don't put yourself, don't put your trust in people like great teachers like Tim Keller or John Piper. They are great teachers. But don't put your trust in them because they are human. And even if they don't fall, they will die. Don't put your trust in great Christians of the past, like C.S. Lewis. Instead, there is one and only one person in history that you should put your entire faith and trust in. And this is the great high priest. This is on who our faith hangs. And this is who we come back to time and time again in my sermons, that is Jesus. And if you hear a sermon that is, does not hang on this, does not return to this idea of Jesus, then you should worry. If you are listening to sermons, even at ones that expound the gospel or that expound the Bible, and it's not about Jesus in some larger context, then you have to worry. It's he who honors and fulfills uh, that trust. Faith is, uh, it's faith in him that will bring us glory. And we saw that last week in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to read this verse again to you. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, that is Christians. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I, that's Jesus, will confess his name before my father, before his angels. Again, how amazing it is that we have Jesus there arguing on our behalf, confessing our name, Jesus there saying our name to God, interceding for us. And so I'm going to end with the end of the chapter, uh, chapter uh, seven in Hebrews from verse 26. For it is indeed, was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. For he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for our own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, for the law, uh, for the word of the oath, which came later than law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
let me pray to finish us. Father, help us to acknowledge and trust in you. Help us to be awed by how you have set this up through history. That all of the Old Testament, all of history points to you. Help us to be encouraged and help us to put our faith in you and you alone. Help us long to know more about you through the Bible, through your words, through great teachers. Not to have faith in them, but to have faith in you and to love you and to want to know you more. We pray that we can live lives that are worthy of you. And as we look to you, that we can shine more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.